Hello and welcome to Legendary Africa, the podcast where a disembodied voice speaks about African myths, legends, and folklore straight from your ear canal. Okay, good news first. We managed to evade Psycho Mulan and her band of murderous cowboys. They appear to be distracted by the portion of your brain obsessed with Labrador puppies. Luckily, Mulan has tethered her new pet dinosaur. So Squirt and I are going to take a quick breather. Poor Squirty needs a good brush. His furry wings are all covered in your brain goop. See you soon! some super exciting news today. My dad has published his first book. It's called Mythic Tales Retold and has been published on Rakuten Kobo, under his author's name Woody Pata. It's a book of limericks retelling myths of old, such as myths about Zeus, Atlas, Prometheus, Vishnu, Maheo, Loki, Pharaoh from African myth, and so many more amazing gods. It's been a lifelong dream of my dad's to publish and I'm so, so proud that he has done it. I'd like to ask you all to share and support his book by following him on social media, visiting his website, and of course, buying his book if you are able. It is currently only available as an ebook, and it is optimized for laptop or iPad and e-readers. Please visit the Kobo site and check it out. I will be leaving all relevant links in the description below, and will also be posting them on my social media. I would also like to read out the blurb, which I absolutely love, and I think you will too. Please, enjoy. Picture a campfire, with people huddled together on a cold night, smoke slowly drifting up towards the sky carpeted with stars, and a storyteller holding his audience captive with the adventures of his ancestors. And as they become more enthralled and beseech him for more stories, he delves deeper into his store of tales, until he comes to the time when there were no humans, no animals, no plants, but there were gods. Since the dawn of time, humankind has been intrigued by the facts of existence, birth, being, death. And when reason and meaning appear beyond human understanding, gods enter the arena. Thus the search for meaning gave birth to mythology, and in turn, mythology spurred existing traditions, rituals and customs into new and exciting pathways, and helped evolve and develop new ones. In Mythic Tales Retold, the author adds his insights with a blend of humour and tongue-in-cheek to the myths of old. The style makes use of a rhyme scheme employed by limericksters, a word according to the author not found in any reputable dictionary, meaning persons writing limericks. A useful glossary is appended, and the book will be enjoyed by both old and young, as well as scholars and non-scholars. Guys, 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 I am excited it is Halloween! Now, Halloween isn't a very big thing here in South Africa, but I am excited and pumped because I love all things spooky. So, to celebrate, in this the Halloween special, I will be retelling three creepy stories from Africa. To tell these stories, we must first travel to East Africa and to Kenya to search for the deadly Kemoset, otherwise known as the Nandi Bear, a creature with a hunger for human flesh. Then, we head down south to my home country of South Africa, where we may meet with the Witch of Hex River. Finally, Travelling across Botswana, we enter Angola to chase after the Kishi, undoubtedly against our better judgement. Pack your bags and don't forget to grab your protective amulet, 
Something tells me you're going to need it. Warning. The following content may not be suited for sensitive listeners or young children. Listener's discretion is advised. The Kemaset, known otherwise as the Nandibe, Kerit, Corduelo, Ngoloko, or Duba, a creature which has plagued the Nandi people of Kenya since the 19th century. Described as a powerful, ferocious carnivore with a sloping back and high front shoulders, the Kemaset is said to stand on its back legs and kills at night. It has never been caught, and the Nandi people of Kenya, an Nilotic ethnic group from Western Kenya, call the creature by the name Kerit, and they claim that it has red hair, long feet, and removes the scalps of its human victims. The Nandi bear clambers through treetops, but is equally comfortable on the ground, and if you are unlucky enough to be wandering around his territory at night, the Nandi bear will attack you on sight. It is reportedly responsible for the deaths of several men and livestock, and is said to devour the brains of its victims after scalping them. Some claim that it is an odd hybrid of a baboon and a hyena, and many scientists and cryptozoologists have attempted to find it over the years. There have been many varied descriptions of the creature. Bernard Huvelmans, for example, describes it as having a thick, stocky body, high withers sloping back, four quarters covered with thick fur, hind quarters smoother and barer, long, rather pointed snout, small ears, no visible tail, and the colour tawny to dark brown. Others, such as George Eberhardt, argues that the Nandi bear can actually be separated into two distinct cryptids, a hyena-type creature and a baboon-type creature. According to one source, the hyena-type creature may be described as twice the size of a spotted hyena, with shaggy brown hair and a short head displaying red eyes, small ears, and large teeth. It has a long mane on its forequarters, and a sloping back and forelegs longer than its hind legs. It has a short tail. Its tracks are larger than those of a man, with three toes and huge inward-turning claws and pads. While the baboon-type creature is described as thick-set animal, three feet six inches to four feet six inches at the shoulder, and four to five feet when standing on its hind legs, it is dark brown or tawny with long shaggy hair, displaying small ears, a stumpy nose, and a pointed snout. Its front area, shoulders, and front legs are thickly furred, whilst the hindquarters are relatively bare. The withers are high and the back is sloping, and the tail is small or non-existent. Both creatures, however, have been described as highly aggressive and dangerous, killing both animals and humans. The Nandi bear will force its way through fences, even if they are spiked or reinforced. Captain William Hitchens, a British colonial administrator who also recorded Swahili history, reported that the Nandi bear will let out a terrifying howl. A moaning call, and this claim has been confirmed by the Nandi people. The captain wrote in his reports of the creature that it would wait in the treetops of travellers, or wait by the river for women, who come to wash their clothes. It would attack and kill them, rip open their heads and feast on their brains, eating nothing else. It is believed that the Nandi bear generally hunts during the night, preferring to hide or flee during the day. Many women refuse to wash their clothes by the river unless men come armed with them. So let's talk physical evidence. Roughly four supposed Nandi bear specimens have been collected and sent to museums, but all specimens subsequently disappeared before they could be examined. 
On all occasions, no explanation could be made. The first specimen originated when Jesse R. Coop shot what he described as a huge lynx-like creature. In 1936, in the Mao Forest, a forest in the Rift Valley of Kenya, the skin and skull of the creature was then sent to the British Museum. It vanished shortly afterwards. The other specimens were reportedly taken from giant hyena-like animals, which were also shot, this time with the bones of the creature being sent to the Nairobi Museum. Once again, all evidence blinked out of existence. Descriptions of the tracks of the Nandi bear were quite common. However, there have never been any photographs of them, and only one drawing has been made. Many witness accounts have also been made. Captain Hitchens wrote of one, which I now quote. One of the best accounts is that of Major Braithwaite and Mr. C. Kenneth Archer, two well-known Kenya colonists, whose experience and word are not likely to be imputed in such matters. They saw the animal in grass and scrub, and took it for a lioness. Later, a side view of its head gave the impression of a snout, the head being very large, while the beast stood very high forward, four feet three inches to four feet six inches at the shoulder. The back, they say, sloped steeply to the hindquarters, and the animal moved with a shambling gait, which can best be compared with the shuffle of a bear. The coat was thick and dark brown in colour. Finally, the beast broke into a shambling trot and made for a belt of trees near the river, where it was lost. An Nandi man also reported that they had come across what they thought was a Nandi bear carcass. He and his friends claimed that it had been shot with a poisoned arrow in the forest, and described it as a shape like a hyena with longer legs, heavy forequarters, size like a Great Dane, a forehead like a man, short-haired, a nose long like a dog but not heavy, teeth longer and bigger than a lion, hair long, black, soft, and a mane all the way down its back, also had a shaggy beard, a tail like a donkey, and claws like a dog, but the size of an ant bear. Another possible Nandi bear attack occurred sometime before 1918, and here's where things get very weird. Ten sheep went missing. When all ten were eventually found, seven were dead and three were alive. All seven were found with their brains devoured. Over the next ten days, the same thing happened to 57 sheep and goat. Their bodies intact, aside from their heads, which had all been crushed or split open, in order to get to their brains. Eventually, some Nandi men tracked down what they thought was the livestock-killing creature, and speared it to death in a ravine. They described it as a large-spotted hyena who must have developed some madness which compelled it to eat brains. Not everyone was convinced that the hyena was a true culprit, however. Another witness from the Transnzoya county claimed that the Nandi bear broke into his house and attacked him. The creature broke down the door to get at him, and was, he said, about eight feet high and like a grey polar bear. This terrible creature, its red eyes blazing and jaws slavering, went straight for the man, and a chase round the table followed. Luckily, however, the man managed to grab a revolver that was hanging on the wall, and fired it into the animal's chest, at which it turned and, growling horribly, made out through the doorway and off. There have been many other sightings, and many researchers have tried to prove that the Nandi bear was a type of bear, wild dog, baboon, or hyena. One theory, suggested by Charles William Andrews in 1923, was that the Nandi bear may have been a Calicothera, which is now extinct, but has been described as a horse-sized animal with a sloping back, bear-like head, long claws, and a short tail. However, Calicothera is a herbivore, and so the brain-eating ways of the Nandi bear do not quite match up. So is the Nandi bear, or Chemoset, simply an over-large hyena, or a type of undocumented bear? 
Could have been a kind of rabid wild dog or gigantic super aggressive baboon. We may never know. Ports of the Nundi Bear have decreased in the 20th century. But if I were you, I would be wary of travelling through the forests of Kenya at night. You never know when a Nundi Bear may be waiting at the trees above, ready to pounce and devour your brains. Okay then, I am not keen on Zombie Bibinas, which is my new name for the Nandi Bear. How curious that it only ate the brains of its victims. I am definitely not walking through any forest at nights, so no thank you. Now, Halloween is still here my friends, so get ready for the next spooky tale from Africa. Our journey continues to South Africa to meet the legendary Hex River Valley Witch. A long, long time ago, in the Hex River Valley, which lies in the western cape of South Africa, a young woman lived with her parents. This woman's name was Eliza, and Eliza was renowned for her incredible beauty. Every man in town wanted to marry Eliza, and all of them came frequently to her father's farm to pay their respects to Eliza's parents and to court their daughter. But try as they might, Eliza's parents could not get her married. The problem? Eliza herself. She was too proud and always said that none of the men were good enough for her. Often Eliza would touch softly as she looked at the men and say that she wouldn't marry a man who could not climb the high crumbs behind Buffel's kraal and bring back the red disa which grows at the very top. Now a crumbs is a sheer rock face or wall and Buffel's kraal is where her parents live and a disa is a lovely red orchid. So, since none of the men could climb the crumbs, Eliza went on unmarried. Her parents began to despair. Eliza would never marry. But then, a young, handsome man named Franz rode into her father's farm, singing so sweetly that Eliza herself leaned out of her window to look for him. Franz was strong and clever and funny and came from a good family, but he was also modest and happy to work hard. He treated Eliza kindly and made her laugh until her sides were sore. Eliza's parents were very pleased to meet him, and were sure Eliza would accept him as a good match. And Eliza herself felt her heartbeat skip every time she saw him. A few weeks later, Franz proposed to Eliza. Eliza's heart leapt and her face glowed with joy. Finally, her parents thought, Eliza would say yes. But Eliza's pride rose again, and as if the words pushed themselves from her mouth, Eliza told Franz that if he truly wanted to marry her, he must climb the Kranz and bring back the Disa. Then the entire world would know that she was marrying a hero. Franz promised her that he would be successful, but Eliza's parents silently despaired. Franz journeyed up the rock wall for many hours, occasionally slipping on loose rock, but catching himself every time. By the time he neared the top, Franz was dripping in sweat, his body aching and his fingers burning from gripping the rocks. But his spirits rose when he spotted the one thing which would allow him to unite with the woman he loved. The Red Orchid. There it was, growing out from the side of the top loop of the Kranz. Franz let out a yell of joy, images of his wedding already in his mind. So excited was Franz, that he did not see the moss lying on the next foothold. Nor did he realize that he was moving too fast. His hand closed around the Disa. 
His mouth formed the name Eliza. Then he fell. Fell to his death, the flower still clenched in his hand. When Eliza heard the news, she fell into a kind of illness. A combination of grief and guilt wrecked her mind and body, reducing her to a skeleton-like life. She refused to eat, then descended into madness. Her parents forced themselves to lock her away in her room for her own safety. Eliza stayed in the empty room with only the view from her window to keep her company. She carved her initials into the windowsill, E.M. Years and years passed. Then, one night, when the light of the full moon fell onto Eliza's windowsill, Eliza managed to escape from her room. She ran and ran through the darkness, stumbling and slipping. She searched all over for the body of Franz, even climbing part of the rock wall. She found nothing. Exhausted, her face wet with tears, Eliza collapsed on a rocky outcrop, her white nightgown stained with dirt and torn in a few places where rocks had crumbled onto the material. Eliza was so consumed by her grief and guilt that she did not hear the rumble in the air or the ground shake beneath her body. The outcrop crumbled beneath her, and like Franz, Eliza fell to her death, her mouth forming the name of her long-lost beloved. And yet centuries later, Eliza is still not free of her guilt. Every night, Eliza searches for Franz. Her gown is dirty and torn as the day she died. Many people keep their doors locked when they think Eliza is out roaming the hills. They say that you can barely see her, a ghost shimmering on the mountain, and a voice, a whisper in the wind. But the people of the Hex River Valley call her the Witch, or Hex. Hex means witch in Afrikaans, and often her wailing resonates across the valley, usually when the full moon is out and shining through the clouds, its beams alighting on a red Disa at the top of the mountain. That was more sad than spooky. Gosh, it just shows. The moral of the story is really, orchids ain't worth it, hey? No, but seriously, <laughs> some pride is okay, but don't go Eliza levels of pride and indirectly lead to the death of your future spouse. That's just unnecessary and overdramatic. And now our Halloween journey continues. This time, we're crossing into Angola. I would recommend grabbing a stake, your magical amulets, and a flaming torch, because it's time to search for Kishi. You're seated in the best restaurant in Luanda, and you've made the effort to dress up. You mean to impress and entrance. The glow of the candlelight warms your face, and your heart beats a little faster as you hear the high tinkle of the restaurant bell as the door opens. Your ears had been straining for that sound, trying to listen above the hum and buzz of the restaurant. Why? Because you had met him last night through a friend of a friend, as one does. His dark brown eyes had drawn you in. His deep, smooth voice resonated in the air like pleasant music. And now, he stood before you, long curly hair sitting over his shoulders, those same soul-piercing eyes staring at you. You talk, 
Food comes and goes, but he is all you can focus on. Eventually, the restaurant starts closing. Laughing, he offers you his arm, and you both walk through the city streets, whispering and laughing together in the moonlight. Too quickly, you've reached your place. Like a gentleman, he kisses your hand gently, and then, with a moment's hesitation, he kisses you softly, just once, on the lips. But you feel as if you're standing on clouds from that simple kiss. He goes to say goodnight, but you stop him, and offer him a cup of coffee before you can part. He pauses slightly, and then, with a quiet smile, he nods his head. Inside, you both talk more about what you cannot remember. One round of coffee goes by, then the second, then the third, until you're buzzing and on edge. Your heart in a bit shaky, and he suggests taking a walk. He knows the place, he says. You eagerly agree, linking your arm with his as he leads you out. You wander through the streets and areas you've never been before, walking and walking and walking, until you find that he's taken you out of the city completely, and out into village paths, and from there into the countryside. When did that happen? Have you really been walking for so long? What time is it? Questions enter your head and leave the moment he turns his head to look at you and smile. You don't notice his breath growing heavier, nor the speed of his footsteps as he begins to hurry, gripping your hand in his. He brings you into a forest clearing. Where are you? Then, in the darkness of the night, the moon hidden in the trees, you begin to notice small things at first. You notice the way the air is still around you. You notice the way his hand is squeezing yours so tight that you feel your hand begin to bend unnaturally. You wince in pain, but when you glance up at him, your heart misses a beat. His eyes are dilated, and they seem to shine with an almost yellow glow. His mouth is open slightly, and hot air puffs out. The tips of his teeth are showing, glinting slightly in the darkness. You open your mouth to say something, maybe to laugh at the sudden fear growing in your heart, maybe to tell him to let go of your hand. But before you can say anything, he places a long finger on your lips and tells you to wait. He has a surprise. Just wait here. He's lifted just behind that tree. He lets go of your hand, and you gasp with relief as feeling rushes back into your fingertips. The corner of your eye, you see him walk to the tree and half behind it. As if something had broken inside you, you feel fear squeeze your heart, as though his hand had reached inside your chest and grasped it. You want to run, run back all the way to the city, to your bed safe in Luanda. But you can't. As if your feet are frozen, you can't move. You see him bend down, and in that moment, a beam of moonlight shines through the treetops and into the clearing. Are you ready for your surprise? he asks. Suddenly he's standing in front of you, dark brown eyes warm and welcoming. What on earth were you worrying about? It's him. Yes, you breathe out. Close your eyes then. And you do. After a few moments of silence, he says, You can open them now. And you do. Your heart stops. A scream echoes into the woods, causing birds to fly up into the air in alarm. His face is elongated and twisted, his eyes yellow and feral, his jaws massive and filled with rows of sharp fangs dripping saliva. His black nose sniffs you, 
He is a hyena. You run. And you run and you run, but no matter how fast you run, you can hear him galloping behind you somehow on all fours. You know what he is. You've heard the legends, but have never believed them. Kishi. A creature with the face of a man on the front, and the face of a hyena on the back, hidden behind long hair. At times you think you lost him, but then a bush rustles and you run again, fear rolling over you in near visible waves. And you know that that's what he wants, he needs to feed, first on your fear, then on your flesh. But you can't help it, you're going to die. His howl cuts through the air. And before you know what has happened, you find yourself facing a smooth rock wall. He has trapped you, he fed on your fear, and now he feeds on you. Tearing into your flesh, his muzzle coated in your blood. He is satisfied and lopes away into the darkness until his next love affair. Okay, 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 I can't creep myself out. This is why you don't trust random guys after one date, okay? Indians do be protective parents for a reason. You want to get eaten? No. Then date for at least one year before you do the shame shame. Ideally, for ten years, okay? Thank you. All jokes in my Indian heritage aside, always tell a friend or family member where you are. There are real creepers out there and they don't need hyena faces to be creepy as fuck. And so we have at last reached the end of our Halloween special. I hope you were slightly spooked out, but mostly I hope that you were entertained, intrigued, and slightly shook at the tales I have told you. Once again, I must say that although I wish to convey myths, legends, and folk tales from Africa to all of you, I do elaborate a lot on stories, and in the case of the Kishi, completely created a narrative for the purpose of entertainment. No offense to any cultures or heritages intended. My main sources for these stories were unexplainedmysteries.net. William Hitchens' article, African Mystery Beasts, Roger Courtney's book, Africa Calling, Bernard Hoovelman's On the Track of Unknown Animals, AfricaRoadTravel.com, QuailMagazine.com, Teresa Bain's Encyclopedia of Beasts and Monsters in Myth, Legend, and Folklore, and of course, my old and faithful friend, Wikipedia. So I wish everyone a wonderful spooky and fun Halloween if you celebrate it, and I hope the witching hour doesn't bring too many surprises. I have been your host, the Shira, the disembodied voice you can't escape. The Legendary Africa is produced by the infamous Hestia the Dog, and as you know, we have an unpaid intern, Athena the Doggo. Thank you for listening and joining me today. Remember to subscribe to Legendary Africa wherever you listen. iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever. And to share with your friends, family, assorted pets, any of your local flora and fauna, and of course, please share with all the zombies hiding in your basement, the witches perched from your chimneys, and the ghosts standing behind you right now. Run. If you like what you hear and want to share that love, please go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes, Podchaser, or anywhere else you can leave comments. 
I will be updating the YouTube channel and website in the next coming days, so please do check that out soon. Updates will be broadcast on social media. Speaking of social media, you can find the pod on Instagram at LegendaryPod and on Twitter at LegendaryPod1. And pop me an email to staylegendarypod at gmail.com. I welcome all with ideas, prompts, favorite recipes and pictures of your doggos, cats, lizards, even birds, but please, no arachnids. I draw the line at arachnids. I'll see you next Saturday with an all-new ancient myth, legend, or tale from a beautiful continent of Africa. Until then, happy Halloween! And remember, to tell your loved ones you love them, thank the angel on your shoulder, stay safe, stay sexy, and stay legendary. Bye!